Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 38. We're talking about work, as always. What's working about it and what's not working, and and helping people get stronger to run their own careers, and then as leaders to have workplaces that celebrate people. It's kind of the reason why we are here, is to reinvent work for people. That's our mission. So I got questions to answer and topics to share with you guys. And if you have a question for me or something you'd like me to address on the podcast, you can send us an email at support at humanworkplace.com. So I hope you will. Got a question here from Janine. Janine says, hi, Liz. I'm a regional HR manager, but I was out for several days. I had interviews set up for one of our hiring managers, and I was horrified to come back and find out that he liked the first candidate he interviewed so well that he made that person an offer and asked his admin to cancel the remaining interviews. That's what I came back to. Not sure what to do. I'm sure you don't approve, but I'd love a rationale to share with that manager. Thanks. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Can feel a little bit, Janine, like you can't go on vacation. But of course you can. You can. All this stuff is a learning opportunity. And here's the thing about learning opportunities. They back us up. They slow us down. And they show us where we might have missed something we could have done earlier. Now look, that's not to be critical. Here in the Western world, we come from a place of blame and shame. Uh, Either I screwed up or he screwed up. Somebody's bad. Somebody's at fault. It doesn't need to be that way. It's just learning. But this is how we evolve and get stronger. Oh, I guess I missed talking to that particular hiring manager about our interview process and mindset and protocol. So here's what it is. Obviously, when you set up interviews with multiple candidates, you may interview three or four candidates. And the fifth one, it just may be very hard to schedule and it's not scheduled and you're not finding a good time. And the hiring manager is absolutely certain that they can choose from the candidates they've already met. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense to keep pursuing this final candidate. It happens. It's life. There's no obligation once having reached out to someone to say, therefore, we have to interview them. But if you've set up an interview, you have to interview them. And so it's patience, right? The hiring manager loved that first candidate. Oh, I want to hire this person. I'm so glad. I'm thrilled. I'm delighted that you're so bullish on the first candidate you met. That's a really good harbinger for this search. And I'm glad that you feel so positive. And we will continue the interviewing process to meet all the people that we invited here. That's our company brand, which you, my darling, do not control. So you wouldn't say it in such a snippy way as I just did. You wouldn't say it like it's not up to you, but it's it, it, you have to get to a place as an ally and as a, as a resource to them, as an internal consultant to them, your hiring managers, that they would never dream of canceling an interview or multiple interviews because they liked another candidate. What message does that send, obviously? I realize I'm preaching to the choir here, Janine. You are the leader of the soprano section, I'm sure. But the, the rationale is that we interview people when we are ready to invest the time and our company's brand in, get, in having that experience that they experience as well as we do. So they come in here or come in virtually through Zoom or something and, and they experience you know a little slice of our company. And that's a very, very important interaction because they have friends and their own experience is important to us. We thought they were somebody we'd like to know and we don't get to back out of that. We don't get to renege 
Oh, sorry, we canceled the interview because now here's when you can cancel an interview. Okay, you can obviously cancel an interview if the hiring manager is ill, they're not able to meet you, and you reschedule. You can cancel the interview cold if the company's going out of business. Oh, we're going out of business. We hate to waste your time with this interview. We're being sold. We hate to waste your time. Right? If the if the position is pulled, if it's if it's canceled, we're not going to hire. That's alarming, right? And you're going to be in the middle of that, Janine, as the head of HR. Why did the position get pulled? How did it get approval and then lost approval? What's going on in the company? That's obviously a bigger issue than just one interview, but that would be a reason as well to cancel an interview. I, we hate to waste your time. We're very embarrassed and sorry, but we're not going forward with the position. And it's not clerical. It's not administrative just to inform you. That's a big thing. Everything with people is a big thing. That was my learning, the, the thump to the side of the head when I became an HR person in my company, HR manager in 1984. Like, wow, these topics are really weighty. They're weighty, W-E-I-G-H-T-Y. I'm 24, I don't know anything about this stuff and people are coming into my office and calling me and emailing me from other, other places with stuff that is that is real. And these are significant issues. And the only reason we don't treat them as significant business issues is because they, they typically occur and, and, and impact one person. So we say, oh, that's just one person. Yeah, but if we screw over one person, that's we're screwing over everybody by extension, right? Does that make sense? HR is carrying out these, these transactions, if you will, approving or not approving things, being sympathetic or not being sympathetic when something goes wrong, taking steps to correct what might be broken in a relationship or in a process in the organization or not taking steps, steamrolling, rollering over people or not steamrolling over people. And so every one of those little interactions is very important. And, and candidates are very, very important too. And uh, I would, I would have a very um, I would have a weighty conversation with that manager and say, wow, I uh, went on vacation and I was really shocked to come back and find this had happened. Let's talk about it. You, you, you know, many HR folks are not completely in their power in their job. They don't feel like they can be. So there's also probably a conversation with your manager. It sounds like you're a regional chief. So there's somebody in a different location that you talk to, not to say you have to help me enforce this policy, but just to say, I want to make sure my worldview squares up with yours because this is something that I intend to, to really, to really manifest in this location, in my region, right? Not as a power thing. This is the rule, but, but just that I'm sure all you managers agree with me. We don't set up people for interviews just to say, Oh, I like this other guy. I don't really have time. He's good enough he or she, and we'll just hire them and cancel you. No, you committed to interview the person. Come on, you're going to see them. I've been in that situation, Janine, and I've had that manager say, well, it's a waste of the candidate's time. I'm not open to them. Well, then we, we need to talk about that, right? I gathered a little bit of data. I don't want any more data. La, 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 la. I got my fingers in my ears. I can't hear you. I don't want to hear from these other candidates. No, I, I'm, I'm encouraging you to step into your power and be open <laughs> And if you end up hiring the first candidate, the extra three or four hours you spent with the other folks will not be wasted, right? Our Buddhist friends say nothing is wasted. How could it be wasted? You're learning, you're, you're getting new perspectives, you're meeting new people. And, and, and if your mind is made up, that's the problem. 
Why would you make up your mind when there's data right here available to you? There's, you know, the best kind, the rich kind, the human kind. Meet people that, you know, could, could shift your thinking. Imagine if a director had, had a day's worth of audition set up and say, I like the first singer. I don't need to hear anybody else. No, they're going to they're gonna go through with it. Life is long. Things can change. The candidate, by the time you call them, the one that the manager loved might have accepted another job. Yeah, that's not that's not high end. So there might be some leadership training. There might be some, you know, just some. Now, uh, so then, if you want to do a little bit of root cause analysis, why is that manager so in a rush? Maybe they're under stress, pressure, coming down from their manager. You don't even have time to meet these other candidates. Check references on this one person and make them an offer. So you want to explore that. So that's where our job in HR. I used to say to my colleagues in HR, we can never be in like a fight with anybody. Being in a fight with another department or dispute is such a traditional time-honored part of being in the business world or the working world. And we don't get to do that because we're the health department. We're supposed to be looking out for the health of the organization and the relationships inside of it. So we can't have vendetti. We can't have beefs. We can't have heat with other departments. We have to figure stuff out as best we can because... How, we couldn't be credible as the health department, right? If we had unrest and tension and political struggles and strife, you know? But yeah, 100% agree with you there, Janine. You can't blow off a candidate with an interview schedule. They might have shown you a completely different way to approach the job. You know, the, man, the, fir, man, the first person who came in may have just been exactly who the manager was expecting to see. And I mean, even age, race, gender, who knows? And so we're, we're, we're teaching ourselves and, and our managers we support and the whole organization. Just be open. Just keep, keep the doors open. Keep the energy open. We don't know. I'm going to invest a week. I plan to invest the time. These interviews were on my calendar, right? Let's just carry it through. Do it, do it, do it. Do the thing you said you were going to do. Okay. All right. Here is an email from Gordon. Hi, Liz. Love your stuff. I made a mistake. My manager asked me about my career plans for 2021 and beyond, and I told him I expect to start my own business in late 2021. Foolish of me to think that would be cool with my manager. He acted like it was no big deal, and he's treated me differently ever since. Can this be saved? Uh, Gordon, it's learning. It's always learning, right? People want to be elevated. They want to, but your manager sees you in a box and the box is you working for them. Sometimes people can get out of the box, especially when they're lifted up by things that happen to them outside of work. Notice if your boss, you know, is, is, is lifted up emotionally, their kid gets into a college they want to go to, or they have a grandbaby or, you know, something happens, they have a great health checkup, whatever. They might, you know, they're in love, whatever. They'll say, that's great, Gordon, I'm 100% behind you. But they will still come crashing down to earth at some later point. And when you tell your manager, my plan is to leave the company and start my own business in 2021, it throws them into uncertainty where everybody hates to be. Uncertainty brings fear. What, well, what am I going to do without Gordon? And what, is he going to be job hunting? Is he going to be starting the business? Is he going to be doing it on company time? Fear, fear, fear. This, this shows up a lot at work when someone gets engaged. And it's typically, you know, uh, the person who's planning the wedding, right? So let's say somebody's got engaged and they're planning the wedding. There's always this, like, 
weird energy that is, oh, let me see the dress. Let me see the hall. Let me see, you know, the flowers you picked out. And also, are you spending all your time on the wedding instead of doing your job? That's one reason why people can often choose to be very guarded at work, talking about their personal lives. They don't want somebody doubting their commitment, which is really so messed up and it's fear-based, but this is the hierarchical system we work in. There's no maximum, right? They can't get all of you. You're going to go home. You're going to have a personal life, I hope. So, so people worry, are they getting all they're paying for? It's a real sickness. It's a real problem in the working world, that fear. Fear of getting ripped off by your employees, spending time on other things. So, of course, your manager in their fearful moments, maybe 3 in the morning, is going to be worrying. Is Gordon already planning the new business, his, his consulting business? Is he going to uh, steal our secrets? Is he going to take our customers? It's just, I, I hate to say, I don't hate to say, we know enough about fear and trust and how it is baked into our system of work, the hierarchical bureaucratic system of work that you can't tell your boss about your career plans basically ever. The only exception might be if they themselves had ambitious career plans and your co-conspirators in that, but even that is faulty. If somebody said to them, we have to do layoffs, they'd say, oh, layoff Gordon, he's planning to leave next year anyway. Right? It's not a good idea. And I'll tell you something else about that because we talk incessantly here on the podcast about fear and trust that's your fear you i'm not getting down on you we all feel fear all the time but you acted out of your fear oh it's easier when you have a secret to share it we know that it's easier to share the burden and it is a burden and that's why it's not fair to put that burden on other people yeah i know don't tell the boss i'm job hunting well then why'd you tell me i don't want to be in that position it's not right to put your co-workers in that situation when you're job hunting and it's not right to tell your boss, oh, I'm planning to leave the company. If they couldn't march into the CEO's office and tell the CEO or HR or whoever, their boss, and have that person say, oh, good for Gordon. He's so rocking. I'm glad when he starts his business next year. It, 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 you know, you can't put your boss in an uncomfortable human situation, so you got to keep it to yourself. Remember Tim Robbins in the Shawshank Redemption when he chipped away? at that little tunnel behind the wall. And we don't want the tension, so we spill the, the beans. Wow, you know, I have this plan. And right there in the moment, your boss is gonna say, oh, cool, 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 cool. And they're driving home and their mind is racing. Oh my gosh, how am I gonna replace Gordon? You know, if Gordon's leaving, why don't I just replace Gordon sooner? I'll get somebody else, I'll start training them. Fear is in the room, it's in the house, it's in the mix, right? It doesn't make your manager a bad manager. It just makes them subject to fear like everybody else. You know what would make your manager less fearful in that situation? If they had an employment contract. Uh, okay. Got another question. Oh, let's talk about unbrainwashing because that's really why we're here, right? Just, you know, thump to the side of the head. Why do we believe all this stuff? Because we were trained and told this is how the world works. And it's the only way the world could work, by the way. It's meat and proper. No, it's not. Unbrainwashing right now, funny, I just mentioned employment contracts, is about job security. Here's what it is. People think job security, A, is the be-all and end-all in an organization, and B, that it has something to do with longevity or tenure. We can understand why people feel that way because for years it was that way. I'm old enough that when I was growing up, all the grown-ups I knew, if they had a job, they had had that job forever. It was just their job. There was a feeling for a little kid in that environment of permanence around grown-ups and their jobs. 
the guy who works at the grocery store is the grocery store guy and the post person is the post mail person and the my dad had the same work for the same company from before I was born, nine years before I was born until I was 25. And even then he only took early retirement because he wanted to do something else. He, many of his colleagues continued working, you know, well into their 60s for that same company, at which point it went the way companies are going now and just started massively shifting and selling off chunks and downsizing and all that kind of stuff, such that my dad uh, luckily was out of there, but talked to many of his former colleagues who were actually were called into a meeting in New York on, on the Avenue of the Americas and right in Midtown and told, you know what, we sold your division. You guys are all going to be laid off from here, but the new company is going to hire you. They are going to hire you. Yes, they are. And um, you have your same job. And the job is in Kansas City. It starts in 30 days. Not sure about the salary and benefits. You'll have to check with them. You have to get there. They're not paying reload. You, if you get your stuff uh, to Kansas City, the job will be there in 30 days. So right from the get. And of course, I was in HR by then. So my dad called me and said, listen to this. And I said, yeah, it's what, what is the statement there? Screw you. Anybody who takes that deal... They, they know a lot about that person. At this moment, anyway, this person is that desperate for a job that they will move bag and baggage to Kansas City and take a job, uh, j you know, just because I need this job and I'm going to stay here. Where is their loyalty? Where's their heart going to be? How focused can they possibly be? Who would even want, you know, that energy in their company? People who just care about the money and nothing literally else. And his company had not been that way at all. Someplace I have a letter. I'll put it in maybe my next book. It's it's cosmic. I hope I still have it. It is cosmic. In one of my parents' many many downsizing operations, um, as they were you know moving out of the house where I grew up, and then the next house they bought, they they sent me this letter, and it's from my dad's boss or my dad's boss's boss, I think, to my mom when I was born, and they we used to take the time, and it was on company stationery. This letter's on company stationery and it says, Dear Barb, that's my mom's name, Dear Barb, congratulations on the arrival of Elizabeth number six. Wow, you know, you're really cranking them out, <laughs> whatever. You know, and, and it goes on like three or four paragraphs. We're just so delighted that you and Jerry are part of the family here and it's been such a, I mean, this was conventional. It was probably dictated to his secretary at the time. 59, you kidding me? You know, Mad Men era, just starting. Camelot, just starting. I actually was baptized the day John F. Kennedy was sworn in. And and it was, there was all this feeling of, you know, ooh, and the, and the organization man, that, that trope, that idea, company man was a huge part of it. White, male, you know, gotta be. But yeah, this cocoon. And it only started to really fray and fall apart in the late 70s, through the 80s and then it's now it's gone but that's why people associate oh i'll just be with this company forever and it'll be great the problem is nowadays the longer you stay in a place if you yourself are not growing and evolving and becoming more marketable the tide is pulling you out to sea you're getting less marketable by being there right time marches on so when you look at people that have had you know tons of different experiences and can do different things they're more marketable they haven't been at one job a long time. They went through more disruption, but it actually helped them. Oh, I know what you're going to say now. Yeah, great, Liz. Tell that to the companies that spurn you because you're a job hopper. Here's the thing. Honestly, 
if you ever hear from a company you've job hopped too much and therefore we're we you're sus you know my kids say we 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 question you we're not sure about you that is such a red flag that they would even say that you know unless you've literally worked at every job for three months and they weren't supposed to be contract jobs and you just for whatever reason had the wanderlust and decided to move but who does that the typical resume that somebody shows me that they've been getting feedback that they're a job hopper they're working a year and a half two and a half years at each job that's normal nowadays and in the hot and sexy fields where recruiters are always calling you to talk about new and higher paying opportunities, I'm talking about tech and fintech and finance in general, um, and there's a few others, they, they don't want you to be there very long because there's only so much gold to accumulate at that level of the video game and then you've got to move on to stay marketable and to get paid what you're worth and to stay alert and awake. So I don't want you to be brainwashed to think I'd better keep my job because I've had it a long time, that there's no logic in that. There is no security in a place just because you've been there and you're actually probably hurting yourself unless you can concretely say, here's what I'm going to learn by remaining in this job in 2021. I, I don't really want you to do it. It's dangerous. The things that used to be safe are now risky and the things that used to be risky are now safe. Crazy, but it's real. I've been telling you guys in little drips, drips and dribs and drabs um, about my story and getting to create the human workplace movement and write and speak about the changing world of work. And so the next chapter of that, just briefly to finish up the podcast today, is that I started waiting tables and I was like, oh, I'm always going to wait tables forever. I don't know what else I'm going to do. Hopefully perform some kind of way. I thought maybe something visual, maybe writing. My mom was a writer. But I love waiting tables because it's chit-chat, my favorite thing. I love chit-chatting with people. I love to meet new people. I love to notice people and, and banter with them. I like the fast action zipping in and out of the kitchen. I love the tips. I love the fact that I'm in charge of the tips to a large degree. That was cosmic for me to find out age 17 or 18. Like, wow, how I am at the table massively influences these tips. And the thing about tips is it's cash in your pocket. So when I leave my job, back then it was all cash. When I leave my job, I have all this cash and, and I feel like powerful. I feel okay. I have cash and I generated the cash based on how well I serve these people and how attentive I was, which is trivial. And it's interesting that my first office job for several office jobs were customer service. Cause same thing, listen, make a note. Hey, did we take care of that thing? You feel good? Is it fine? One thing that people really have trouble with, if they do a customer service job, customers get angry and they yell at them and they, they get, it feels personal and they get upset. I was sort of Teflon against that, even as a, as a server, because I was like, people are going to feel how they feel. I can adapt and say, oh my gosh, was I slow getting you the butter? I am so sorry. Let me bring you some extra. It's so easy to repair most of the time, that damage, if you don't take it on yourself as it makes me a bad person either on the phone or in the restaurant. And that was really good learning for me as a young person because, of course, in HR, that's the name of the game. Somebody's going to be mad at you all the time. Somebody's going to be mad at you. But waiting tables for me was, was super, super empowering because it showed me that I have some influence over, you know, how to do this job and also how I get compensated. I never had that in the retail jobs I had had before or the job zipping up and down the steps at the buffet restaurant 
out in the suburbs where I just was like work like a dog every day for the minimum wage, no tips. Um, no, it was like, hey, if you guys are tipping me, I mean, yeah, I will. I mean, sure. I want you to have a good experience in the restaurant. I want you to come back. I want to cultivate my little section here. So many booths, so many tables, and I want to run it like a profit center. And there are restaurants now that hire people, you know, on that basis. And they tell them, this is your section. It's a little profit center, right? The delta over what the the dollar amount of the check is, that's for you. That's your tip. And you have a lot of influence on that. I'm all about that. So, yeah, we'll talk more about this 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 process, the the learning about our agency, learning about our power at work, you know, in the next episode, 39. Amazing. But I just want to say, closing the podcast here, that the the presidential election in the United States was just called for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris just before I started recording. And um, I'm <laughs> jubilant. I'm over the moon. There's so much to be done, of course. I'm disheartened, of course, horrified, disgusted. So many people voted for the incumbent. Again, there's some massive brainwashing going on. We talk a lot about brainwashing here, of course, on the Truth About Work podcast. It's so real. It's so real. And it hurts and kills people. Um, and it's it's at work in our country in a big, big, big way. But there's also a lot of people who are shaking that brainwashing off or really never fell victim to it least in the political sphere and so many people oriented in the right direction that want to do the right thing, stop separating families at the border and bring in health care for everybody and solve and get a handle on this coronavirus and run the country like a modern industrialized nation, post-industrialized nation, take care of everybody and stop police brutality and, and re-engineer policing and incarceration in our country and fix social problems that have been unaddressed for decades uh, and um, and the electoral college and we could go on and on but I just want to say thank you to everybody who was involved in this effort to get Joe and Kamala to the White House and um, it's uh, I mean it's it's earth-shaking it's it's truly a magnificent magnificent thing and um, I am on cloud nine about it. I hope you are too. Thank you. Talk to you soon.